0: Listening Dog Media. Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan, and a Liverpool fan.
4: Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by Continental Tyres. It's our third season. It's our fifth episode. Going strong, ladies. And there's some news to share a bit later on. If you've not caught up with it already, there are developments in the Offside Rule camp. So there are. Now, your favourite three ladies are back for a bit of football fancy. Hello, Hayley McQueen. Hello, Lindsay Hooper. Hello was that French fancy I like those (laughs) we are fancy I love it hi there we like to think we are anyway, don't we? Coming up on today's show, well, very exciting topics because I wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> why? Basically, yes. C Smith coming up with her regular WSL women's football update. We've got fan backlash. Now, poor Alan Pardew. He does take it in the net, doesn't he? This time last year, actually, he was under a lot of fire, as was Newcastle. He was heckled by both sets of fans in that game against Southampton. Heavy loss there for Newcastle. So, name one other example. Of of heavy fan backlash, and I want to know whether it worked. Occasionally, it does. Sean Thorne is back with our regular Twitter topic of the week feature. And topic three, it's the small things in life. This was inspired by Lindsay Hooper, who sent me a succession of messages <laughs> at the weekend that made me chuckle about the small things in life. So lots coming up on the show, and we'll get to the first topic in just a few moments' time. Let me tell you that you can download The Offside Rule. We get it via Audioboo and iTunes. We're available on YouTube, The Offside Rule TV, on Twitter, at Pod, and do check out the website, offsiderulepodcast.com. There is no escaping us. We are everywhere. <laughs> Even more so now blanket coverage. Well, if you missed it, the big news is this. On Tuesday we released our first ever European podcast. Our good chums at HTC have supported us on this and it means that every single Champions League and UEFA League match week, we're going to be releasing two extra podcasts. The first one's out already. You can download that now, folks. Please do. Next
2: one out in a few days time. So it's a preview and a review. It's a top and tail, a little bit
1: like when we have a girly sleepover and I always take heads. (laughs) And it's very quick, fun, interesting facts, building up to the game, bringing you the information that you might not have seen by watching the coverage on telly.
4: Our European reporters are leaving the main podcast and defecting over to the Offside Rule Euro show as it's now going to be known. And uh, we've also got plenty going on on our website as well with a specific European football section. So if you want the Offside Rules take on European football, pop over and have a look and do download those podcasts. Right, let's truck into the first topic. Before I do, quick heads up, Mm. I'd like... A little 30-second nugget from both of you. We know that you generally have busy weeks and there's a lot going on, but I just want one little favourite nugget of your week. Hayley McQueen. Okay.
1: Maybe not a favourite nugget, but started in Glasgow working with the SFA and promoting grassroots football with Kenny Dalgleish. Wow. Yeah, which was quite fun. Yep. The next day, it was Soccer X Convention in Manchester with Peter Reed, Michael Owen and Brian Robson, so that was lots of fun. Then I went on September the 11th to London. Could you do any more name-dropping yeah. on this? it's brilliant, isn't it? Jimmy Floyd Hassebank was there, the lovely Kirsty Gallagher, where I was representing Reverse Rare, a charity, a disease which is in little girls. So, making sure that on Trading Day on September the 11th, all the money that's given to charity goes to various charities. And I represented one of them. And it finished off with a fashion show for Fern Cottons Range at Very. There you go. Very random. <laughs> you can breathe. I did have a busy footballing Friday.
2: Uh, so, West Ham to Chelsea. Uh, Mourinho, by the way, um, wasn't as in an, an entertaining mood as he well, usually I mean, is. sometimes isn't. You see, people expect. A show He doesn't always give you one. I wanted one. Um, and then <laughs> I have money back. I, I had my own show. Um, no show nearly on Saturday. Uh, I was going to Ipswich to Portman Road to do final score reporting. So it's Ipswich versus Millwall. Um, do the two and a half hour journey, 10 minutes from the ground, realize I haven't got my reporters kit. And we're not talking um, a pad and pen. We're talking a whole electrical kit it's the whole thing that means that I can go on air Epic
1: you took your hair straighteners and your hair dryer and a brush instead and forgot to pack the other technical stuff didn't you yeah thank you to BBC Radio Suffolk for coming to my rescue on that one but what have you done
4: Kate come on Well, I've been at the Invictus Games for the last few days, for most of the week, actually, um, covering the archery and the cycling, which has been brilliant and very emotional. Loads of great stuff there. The low point of the whole experience, though, involves me being late for the live cycling presentation at the weekend. Uh, And that's where we start recording with all the kind of pre-show stuff. And I get stuck in the Blackwall Tunnel, I'm getting there, I'm late, I can't get into the Velo Park, I'm driving round. The low point of it all is me stood on a verge on the side of the A12, between the A12 and the River Lee, trying to cross from the Olympic hockey field (laughs) over to the Velo Park and realising that I couldn't do it. I was stood on the top of this grassy bank. I don't know how I even got up there because I really struggled to get down there. Six and a half months pregnant with loads of baggage and dresses and water bottles and everything else. A bloke stood there and looked at me as I turned round and realised that I couldn't, in fact, get over the verge and
2: said, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, fair play. Ran back to my car and tried to get there. Uh, Dresses, water bottles, no sat-nav, evidently, though. I had a
4: sat-nav, but you try and sat-nav your way around the Queen Elizabeth II Park, you're a goner. That, That was the problem. Google Maps, update yourself. Yes, so just imagine some heavily pregnant woman stood on the verge of the A12, flapping around, getting in a panic. That was me. Let's get into topic one and more positive things. Making yourself at home, who could fail to ignore Diego Costa's impact on the Premier League since arriving at the start of the season? He has scored seven goals in his first four games, including a hat-trick at the weekend, which has really been the icing on, on the cake of these very first few games for him. The special one, Jose Mourinho, has called him a special player. Quite some accolade there from his manager. So I want two other players in the last ten years who've settled right into a new side with a standout first season. Hayley, I'm going to go to you.
1: I'm going to go with Robin van Persie. It's the first one that came to mind and not just because I follow Manchester United, but United couldn't have asked for anything better from him in his first season. From Arsenal hero who'd have thought it, knocking on a bit in age for the position that he plays in, you think... If he can stay fit, he might be all right. Well, I'll tell you what, he did stay fit. He finished the season with the Manchester United Player of the Year for 2012-13. He was nominated by UEFA into the 10-man shortlist as well for Best Player in Europe award. Uh, Coach Rennie Mullenstein convinced him to wear the shirt number 20 and said, it's up to you to lead the line, show what you can do and you can win Manchester United's 20th league title. He did that in his debut season, and he netted impressive goals. A first half hat-trick against Aston Villa in April, which confirmed United's league title. With still four games in hand. They were already celebrating. So there you have it. He scored great goals as well. Important ones against Liverpool and a brace as well in the Champions League against FC Cluj. Again, linking up brilliantly with Rain Rooney. Couldn't have asked for a better season from him.
2: And he also overtook Brian McClare's um, haul in that season as well. So he overtook that tally because he scored 26 league goals 30 overall which surpassed the 24 goals by mclair i've got a feeling that that we're going to be talking a lot about surpassing goal records and debut Mm. records within
4: the first season with the players that we're going to be speaking about lindsay who've you got to offer to the pile
2: well i've gone back over previous podcasts i do listen to us all i I go to sleep listening to (gasps) to past back catalogues
4: sorry you go to sleep listening to past back catalogues (laughs) shouldn't that be i wake up with
2: <laughs> maybe it should, maybe it should. Um yeah, I shouldn't be going to sleep on them, should I? And also Kate Borsay knows how quickly I fall asleep. The Offside Rule podcast brought to you by <laughs> Night Nurse. <laughs> Um, but actually, um, I was thinking about how many times in the in the two seasons that we've been going, we've laid into Fernando Torres at Chelsea. Um, but I, for once, am going to sing his praises. I'm going to go back to the time that he joined Liverpool in his debut season in the Premier League. It saw him score an incredible 24 goals in 29 appearances, four assists as well to go with that. So overall, um, an incredible um, part of the squad that season. Netted a hat trick in the league cup for. Liverpool um, also contributed six goals in their Champions League campaign. They went on to very nearly make the final of that. You Don't may recall, that. <laughs> Oops, really, really. Do we really need to mention that losing in extra time to Chelsea Thank you. Uh, in the second leg? Of course, uh, it was a debut season to remember for him, um, and he hasn't really um, matched it since. He had he
4: definitely hasn't, hasn't
2: really. No, he hasn't. <laughs> no, he hasn't. He hasn't. We've, we've definitely laid into him. Uh, he did have. He did have great seasons though at Liverpool um, subsequently, but but nothing that I think matches that debut season. I'm going to move on to mine and I'm going to start things off
4: with Cristiano Ronaldo. It's quite an obvious pick, this one, but we can't not mention it really. His debut season for Real Madrid achieved fantastic things at Manchester United and the jury was out. He was very expensive. How was he going to do? Was he he going to live with the weight of expectation? Well, someone with the size of an ego as large as cristiano ronaldo's can live with any amount of expectation is my take on it he scored 26 goals and 11 assists in la liga despite only featuring in that starting lineup 28 times incredible figures picked up champions league goals too it might have been a trophyless year for real madrid and it was in that first season for him but to handle the hype to handle all the all the sensationalization if that's a word, (laughs) is it? I don't know. I'll just carry on around him. Uh, He showed a lot of why he was worth such a high price. So, yeah, hats off to him. I'm going to mention another quick one, and I'm going to ask you ladies to chip in with any more players that you can think of. Sunderland's Vito Minone, this is last season. He signed uh, the goalkeeper for Sunderland, got off to a bit of an indifferent start. It took him a few games to get into his season. But by the end of it, he'd notched up a significant amount of appearances, made some very good saves, had some really good stats, actually, as well, if you look at them. But by the end of the season, he was named Sunderland Supporters Player of the Year and uh, he was also named the club's official player of the year as well. Great standout debut season for goalkeeper Vito Minone. Hayley?
1: It's not very often we highlight goalkeepers as well. You always think of great debut seasons. You go straight to the goal-scoring records, don't you? And you think, oh, who scored the most amount of goals?
4: Oh, my God, I totally forgot to give you one really important thing. That standout season, last season for Sunderland, the moment he saved a couple of penalties in the penalty shootout at the end of extra time that helped Sunderland, of course, if you remember, Mm. qualify for the final at Wembley against Manchester City. How could I knock that off his record? Had to mention it. Sorry, Hayley, back to you.
1: No, totally agree. Right, I'm going to mention a Scott from Aberdeen. Kim Little, OK? She went out to join Seattle Reign and had a perfect debut, not just her first game, but the whole season. She scored two goals in a 3-0 win over Boston Breakers in her first ever match. Not only that... She hadn't even trained with her new teammates. she'd literally arrived in America off a flight a few hours later, she was there in the starting lineup and then was named player of the match. And she went on to continue that brilliant form. It wasn't just a one-off, it wasn't some crazy flight thing that had happened to her. I think, the excitement of being in America. Um, I'm mentioning this because she was brought to our attention again because Scotland beat the Faroe Islands nine nil uh, this. Yeah, in this uh, last week, which was great. She was actually at the end of the season for Seattle Reign. The midfielder voted the most valuable player of 2014. She became the first player in history to earn the Army National Guard Player of the Month on multiple occasions. Three months she won it, April, May and July. Not only that, she came second as far as assists are concerned adding in seven so she finished the season with 16 goals in 23 games so huge congratulations absolutely brilliant she actually broke the record in a single season for scoring goals uh, by a previous player for Kansas
2: City she is incredible I do love Kim Little I miss her so much in the FAWSL but she's doing brilliantly uh, teamed up with her former uh, Arsenal manager over in Seattle I I really wish her well but I I wish she'd come back I'm going to mention a women's Footballer as well. I'm going to mention Fran Kirby from Reading. Now, I'm going to mention her in the debut sense that it's been her debut with England this season, and she scored on her debut for England, and she's really slotted into the England squad. But as well as that, she's taken her season's tally to 16 goals in just 13 games for the Royals. Which is brilliant to score more goals than games. Fantastic stuff. So I wanted to do a nod to her. And this might segue nicely, I'm feeling. I'm going to hand over back to Kate. It certainly is, Lindsay Heber. Thank you very much. Coming up
4: right now, thank you ladies for that, by the way, on the Offside Rule podcast, we get it. Uh, Sue Smith with her regular WSL Roundup.
3: Hi, everyone. Here's my weekly women's football update. I'll start off with international football and England. They played their final qualification game against Montenegro. England have already qualified but obviously they wanted to finish the games off in style and that's exactly what they did. They actually won the game 10-0. Enia Aluko with a hat-trick, Karen Carney and Tony Duggan both with braces and then Alex Greenwood, Lucy Bronze and Joe Potter with the other goals. That's 10 out of 10 for England in qualification scoring a massive 52 goals and only conceding one. Quite impressive Mr Sampson. Wales played Ukraine in their final group game. They were hoping for a possible playoff place, but unfortunately they were beaten 1-0 after what sounded like a really hard-fought match. Not wanting to sound patronising towards Wales, but they've improved so much over the last few years, and I'm sure it won't be very long before they qualify for a major tournament. Moving on to Scotland, who've already qualified for a playoff spot, they were hoping to beat Sweden in their last qualification game. But again, unfortunately for them, they were beaten 2-0. But they've obviously got the, they've got the playoff games to, to look forward to. Now, just going to look ahead to the Women's Super League. The title race is really hotting up now. It's between three teams, Liverpool, Chelsea and Birmingham. Liverpool, who are currently in third place, travel to Birmingham, who are in second place. This is going to be a massive game for both teams. And I really wouldn't like to predict the result for this. So I'm not going to. Liverpool, they then have to play Arsenal and Bristol, so pretty tough few games there for them. Birmingham, after that, have to play Man City and Notts County. Again, two difficult games. Chelsea, who are currently top, you could say, have the most favourable last few games, playing Everton and Notts County, who are both bottom and second from bottom. But then you've got to think that they're going to be fighting for every point that they can. So, again, that's going to be tough. And then they finish with a, a trip to Man City. Again, a really difficult tie. It's going to be such an interesting end to the, the season. It's been so competitive all the way through. And, again, I wouldn't really like to predict. But, you know, if I was a betting lady, I'd probably go for Chelsea as as title winners. But what do I know?
0: Hi, I'm Phil Thompson and you're listening to The Offside Rule.
3: Thank you to Sue. Great to
4: hear how the WSL sides are getting on at this point in the season. Exciting stuff, it certainly is. OK, let's move on to topic number two, fan backlash. Happens a lot, doesn't it? Alan Pardew, though, heckled by both sets of fans in that 4-0 defeat to Southampton at the weekend. And in fact, it mirrors this time last year he was getting heckled. Newcastle fans were really protesting with quite some voice about the fact that at that point Joe Kinnear had not really invested anything in the summer transfer market and Alan Pardew was getting it in the neck as well. Back then he had eight games to save his career. Uh, How many games has he got now, Lindsay? You were telling me this earlier. Has,
2: Has he got something like three games to kind of save his Newcastle managerial career, well it was meant to be two games with the game that's just gone and one more he meant to have two games to save his career but um a lot of people are now saying with the pressure and the back pages from the weekend just got he might even go this week tony pulis of course heavily linked with that whether he'll want to go there or not is another thing but that's
4: a topic for another podcast mm-hmm. perhaps so let's find out ladies about heavy fan
2: backlash one instance each please and did it work Lindsay hooper over to you i'm going to go with something of Fairly recent. Um, I'm not going to go back in history too much because I think this is a great example of fan power in the modern day because you think that nowadays fans don't really get that much say. You'd like to think that you do, but all these big business owners come in and they tend to just do what they want without any real consequences, don't they? Quite. Quite. So, what a great example. <laughs> Thanks for that, Hayley. Um, so, what a great example to give of Coventry City returning to the Rico Arena, something that really put a smile on my face when I saw that. Um, being forced to travel most of them, um, they're really committed, 35 miles away to see games in Northampton at Six Fields for much of the last couple of campaigns. But the attendances now back at the Rico are up to 27,000 plus. Um, it was a record on the first game back there. Um, they'd hit record lows in Northampton. We're talking hundreds for some. And what happened was the fan power is that they stayed away. They refused to make that move. Um, they protested. There were a couple of key groups. I'm going to make, mention one campaigner in particular, Michael Orton, who I've heard interviewed on several different stations and in, in different papers about it. He was one of the main campaigners um, to get them back to the to the RICO arena. Um, and and I, I love people that are that passionate and are putting all that time in, in their spare time to try and make change and get something to happen. Um, He rallied around a lot of different trips. I mean, there's many more people to mention as well as him. But what this group of fans managed to do as well was they managed to highlight quite a few issues. There was loads of controversy there. They even had to go to a high court at one point and, and flag up some issues. But the main thing being that all the campaigners who helped highlight all of the moral disgrace of the club moving out of the city, the return to the Rico, it was a victory for those supporters. They refused to accept that the club were being treated like a franchise, as many are nowadays, being moved around, messed around, and loads of people supported. Supporting them when they return back to their rightful home. Mm, Really good story. Thank you very much. And what a lovely end as well. Uh, Hayley, over to you.
4: Okay,
1: well, mine were yet to see if the protests are going to happen because this is all big breaking news. It happened in the last week. And this is a protest by fans about modern technology. Not on the pitch, not goal line technology, no. And it was in a game where they won, yet they were still protesting. It's PSV Eindhoven. They launched a protest in the 6-1 victory over NAC Breda in their club's um, opening game in the Eredivisie season against the introduction of (laughs) Wi-Fi. Yes, that's right. They don't want it. They do not want the Wi-Fi to be any better because they say that people will not be concentrating on the game. The journalists will probably disagree and those who need the information to help their laptops be powered up and their phones to follow all the action. Can't
2: the club just change the password so that the journalists have got it and the fans don't have it? And also, isn't it worth just saying that if it's entertaining enough on the pitch, people won't be on the Wi-Fi? Bit more pressure
1: for them to do well. Mm -hmm. There were big banners, one banner, I I won't repeat the first word, a four-letter word beginning with F, saying bleep Wi-Fi, support the team. (laughs) Yes, unbelievable. Proper banners made up, not just black paint on white, like proper banners with the Wi-Fi sign crossed out as if no smoking in here with hundreds of them in the T&U section of the ground.
4: A bit like you've said, Lindsay, a real mark of how well the team are are performing is how many people are on Wi-Fi. So you can just imagine a half-time team talk and the latest stat for the number of people on Wi-Fi in the stadium is 70%. Lads, we need to be more entertaining and get that figure down.
1: Yeah, well, supporters' groups have said they believe the introduction of the technology is just the latest in a series of decisions intended to gentrify the home crowd. uh, at Matches with Stewart's also clamping down on standing in sections as well where supporters have preferred not to sit for lots of different reasons with uh, supporters saying, and we're on banners, you can sit at home and stand united, held aloft. There you go. So if you're at home, you can sit down on your couch. If you're in the stadium, you should be standing there supporting your crowd. So a bit of a random one, but there you have it.
4: I like that one. I love
1: it. Thank you very much for bringing that to our attention.
4: Mine's a bit more sinister, actually. Lindsay's given us a really nice warm story. Hayley's given us something a bit bonkers, but brilliant. Mine's a bit more distressing. Are you going macabre on us? I'm not going macabre, but I'm looking at the kind of the wrong side of fan backlash. It involves a German player, Mario Götze. Don't forget, more German news, by the way, in our Euro podcast. Do check them out, folks. I just thought I'd slip in a quick plug. Go on to and you'll find them there on iTunes. Um, But Mario Götze, when he moved, well, when the deal was done for him to move from Dortmund to Bayern Munich... All hell broke loose with the Dortmund fans. They were not happy at all. It wasn't really Gortz's fault. He really wanted to play for Pep Guardiola, and Bayern had, had activated a €37 million euro release clause in his contract. He wanted to go. The release clause had been met. So off he eventually went. But the news was announced several months before the move actually happened. Uh, I know Dortmund tried to block this, in all fairness, but Bill, the German newspaper, got hold of it. And so they had to make the announcement. Several of the fans were completely shell-shocked, and when the news first came out, the next game for Goetzer to play in, uh, Dortmund fans whistled every time he got the ball. Now, that's not so unusual, but it escalated from there. Uh, some supporters held up banners abusing him, saying Goetzer rouse, which translates to Goetzer out in English, but I presume some of the banners were perhaps a bit more naughty than that. He needed a police escort to get to training the following week. Um, fans not happy at all. The message board I know from Dortmund fans were going absolutely crazy. A photograph posted on Twitter showed Gertz's yellow Dortmund shirt hanging on a peg with Judas written across it. Someone else had set fire to a shirt and posted it on YouTube as well. Bit more sinister, there were even rumours that his younger brother had to be escorted home from school after uh, the family home was spray-painted by Dortmund Ultra fans. So it didn't get get particularly pleasant. Um, I know it wasn't a great time for him. He did go to Bayern Munich as we all know. And my question for this bit of fan backlash is, his first season at Bayern Munich, a little bit mixed, a bit frustrating if you're a Goethe fan and you wanted him to have a debut season like some of the players we've been talking about today. Was his slightly patchy first season at Bayern Munich anything to do with the backlash from the Dortmund fans? Well, I'll leave that for you guys at home to decide.
2: It must seep in to them. It must, it must make yeah, some effect. It has to. They're, not, they're not, not human. Indeed, Lindsay. Right, let's motor on and say hello to Sean Thorne with our
4: Twitter Topic of the Week.
0: Twitter Topic of the Week. We've got a bit Rick Ross on Twitter Topic of the Week this week. So we're talking swagger, thanks to uh, Oliver Holt, a gentleman who possesses a certain amount of swag uh, himself, who tweeted how Di Maria has brought swagger back to Manchester United. So we've asked you this week, who are the footballers with the ultimate swag? I feel like we should have a beat in the background for this. Uh, Lindsay Jones, uh, she said it has to be Perlo. Amina's in agreement and says Perlo always Perlo. Laura Hamill says Berbatoff should be in with a shout. I don't see why not. Uh, Kevin Simmons has meticulously constructed a solid argument for Eric Cantona. He says, can we still count Cantona? Because, you know, swagger. Yes, we can and will count Cantona uh, for you, Kevin Simmons. Uh, Ellie Yates has nominated Alex Scott based on her moves after the Birmingham match. And Paxton Coatesy says Glenn Hoddle was the king of swagger. Uh, Richard Bolum's gone for Daniel Agger, who I guess gets points for sounding a bit like swagger, I suppose. And finally, Rockefeller has gone for Thierry Henry, saying Thierry played with a swagger and had the skill to back it up. Now, Thierry Henry was going to be my pick, Rockefeller, but he was pipped at the post by a certain moonwalking, technicolour-haired maestro... That is the former Bristol City, Gillingham, Tranmere in Dagenham Forward, Bass Savage, legend. Go and YouTube him. Uh, he's now playing in Bangkok, strangely enough. And on the note of Bass Savage playing in Bangkok, doesn't get more swag than that. I will hand you back to the girls.
4: Some entertaining tweets there, Sean. Thank you very much for that. Let's head on to topic number three. It's the small things in life. I need to get my phone out to have a look at these messages, Lindsay Hooper, because she sent me a few messages at the weekend that were oh. the height of excitement. And I'm going to read uh, them out to you. is
2: really for private consumption.
4: I don't think you'll mind, Lindsay. I'm not going to read out all of them because there were a few pictures involved. Uh, So the excitement from Lindsay was the announcement on WhatsApp. Okay, (laughs) luckily it was just to me, with the excited Lindsay Hooper saying, I'm interviewing MM tomorrow. And I thought, who's MM? (laughs) Malky Mackay. No. It was Eminem. (laughs) No! Oh, it was Mick McCarthy. <laughs> She was like an excited schoolgirl, and that's how I read that. After the interview, you sent me a message and you said, MM kissed me, (laughs) exclamation mark.
2: He did, right on the cheek, straight away. And I was just like, oh. Um, But I have to point out that Kate does misread my love for Mick McCarthy into a romantic sense, which it's not. So she started sending me dream lover pictures and things. It's
4: not like that. (laughs) I know that you don't like him in that way, but I do like to tease lindsay that it is in fact an attraction thing rather than a footballing thing but we know it is respect it's just pure footballing love because if people don't know you are a wolves fan yeah let's just you make, make
2: sure that. people know
4: that <laughs> even though he's manager of ipswich now the allegiance still continues so ladies let's open this out the little things in football that make you smile or make you
1: laugh uh hayley yeah what made me smile was lindsay Louise losing her is end kit, because she was probably so excited about the prospect of meeting Mick McCarthy and getting a kiss. There you have it. OK, advertisements that go wrong, things that are advertised, World Cup players and then suddenly they don't play in a tournament and you're like, oh, what on earth? Um, Chicharito, and I went to Mexico... In the summer, I was there at the beginning of the World Cup. So Javier Hernandez absolutely idolised by uh, everyone in Mexico, regardless of whether he was playing brilliant football for Manchester United or not. This before he made his move, of course. Um, And there were kids in this bar with his name across the back, little P, very cute. um, On every poster, drinks, cups, merchandise everywhere in Mexico. And when I met people and the guys behind the bars and in the restaurants and stuff, were saying, "Oh, the World Cup? Are you English?" They were saying, "You manage." Manchester United fan. Oh, you have Chicharito. Um Well, he didn't, Get selected in the starting eleven in that first game as the hundreds of Mexican fans gathered around televisions in a square that we went to for their game against Cameroon. He actually did come on uh, towards the end of the game, the 70-something minute, and huge cheers went up. But imagine that their hero in the World Cup and in their opening game, and he just wasn't involved. I didn't laugh, and it wasn't funny. But it's just crazy to see that he was everywhere, and lo and behold, he wasn't even playing.
2: I'm going to pitch in as well here, then, Haley. Um, I think as a reporter, I dine out on the small. Things. Things. That is what makes my afternoon. It's what makes my reports more interesting and it's certainly the things that I look out for. So observations on, in football matches, things from fans who run on the pitch and take a free kick, uh, the lights going out halfway through a match, a ref giving out three yellow cards. We have seen that happen in a World Cup, haven't we? Uh, the fan who's turned up in outrageous fancy dress who must be commented on in one of my reports. That happens. If you do do that in my eyeline, just be aware it might happen. Uh, chairmen and women getting vocal on the pitch address in the crowd, embarrassing themselves (coughs) Delia, Uh, coaches getting sent to the stands because they're being too vocal on the touchline the fan that places a 50p bet and wins hundreds of thousands of pounds on Bayern Munich, that actually happened to a lady, Um, and Alex Song turning up to to training (laughs) dressed like he was off a catwalk things like that make me smile you actually sent me that picture and I could not
4: believe what he was wearing. Fedora cap, sleeveless, long blouse, because it wasn't a shirt, was it, hoops? It was definitely a blouse and some skinny trousers. What on earth did he look like? His teammates must have been like, Who the heck is this? Who's walked through the
2: door? Go and have a look for it on Twitter if you can. And I actually asked Sam Allardyce about it in the press conference and I said is he the most fashionable player you've ever managed and he laughed. But he quite liked the fashion, I think. <laughs> what what really sounded? Amazing. Amazeballs. Um,
4: as a Liverpool fan, one little thing that makes me laugh, I know we've got some Scottish football to return to with you, haley was just, I know this is cruel, OK, but I am a Liverpool fan, so just allow me this, was watching Sir Alex Ferguson's face at several points last season when he showed up to watch David Moyes' team play. Just the look on his face. And there was a yawn incident as well, wasn't there, where he famously yawned and I thought, yeah, right, mate. there are several fans behind you all the
1: way. <laughs> Hayley... I like it when kids are caught on camera and they see themselves and they either wave or get really excited or they just hide behind their mum or dad because they're really shy. I like that. Not if it's transfer deadline day, though. No, they're naughty (laughs) and bad. Um, What is naughty is when um, linesmen, referees, don't see things that have happened. And it's when advertisements or whatever kind of goes wrong. So sponsored by something which is then highlighted so great for the company, and this will make sense, in a Scottish game, Hibs Up Against Hearts, Lee Griffiths, Struck a wonderful, wonderful strike. The goal was disallowed. It was, it was a full yard over the line. Camera pans to the linesman. He has a big label on his sleeve, sponsored by Specsavers. There's little things like that very funny which was probably great for specsavers but they're not because he didn't see it just stupid little things the kind of third eye style soccer AM type things that make me chuckle if you've got any folks do feel free to send them in to at offside rule
4: pod that concludes proceedings for today ladies anyone else anything to add before we uh, truck on and say tatty bye to everyone don't forget our euro reporters if you're waiting for that section that's in our new euro pod one's out already there's another one out the review for this week's Champions Champions League and UEFA League action comes out in a few days' time. The Offside Rule TV, you can find us on YouTube, you can download us via Audioboo and iTunes, and don't forget the website with a special European football section, offsiderulepodcast.com. Thank you, ladies. And uh, you can hear from us, Euro-wise, in a few days' time. Thanks very much. Hayley, Should we go and get hot chocolate? Because you like them very chocolatey. Yes, thank you. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to get hot chocolates. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye-bye.
0: The female take on football.